Are they arresting developers now, David? Hey, Bankless Nation. It is the third Friday of August. Hope you're doing well. It is time for the weekly roll-up. That's what we're about to do, David, every Friday. Coming at you. You're in a different place. Are you going like uh, mountain climbing or something this week? No, not mountain climbing. Weekend? I'm just going to go climb a mountain, which is meaningfully different. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> me, me and the uh, four alfalfa boys are right after this. We're about to go to the Olympics in Washington. Uh, so going to go have That's a little awesome. cabin weekend. And then we're going to go uh, go to the uh, High Divide Trail. Uh, this yeah, is tw- so, 20 miles. So this is different. There's a distinction between mountain climbing and climbing a mountain, which is like you're you're not using your hands. Is that the, yes, the distinction? Yes, we, we are just walking. <laughs> <laughs> we are just walking a lot. Man, I've get, been getting into the uh, mountain climbing uh, documentary scene. Mm. It's quite a like a uh, free inspirational solo. stuff. You right? see that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alpinist. Yeah. Yep. Don Wall. Have you seen Don Wall? No. Is that the next Don, one? Don Wall is better than free solo. All right. Does the guy die in the end though? No. Because no, I can't do that. No, he does can't not. do that again. Well, all right. In one of these three movies, he does, but not in the one I just mentioned. You're right. No spoilies, guys. Um, sometimes <laughs> it happens. It's a dangerous freaking sport, which is why I'm glad. You are climbing a mountain rather than mountain climbing because this this podcast would be pretty boring without my co-host. Just yeah. me talking. Well, I have Can done ice that? since we're on the topic. I have done ice climbing in the past, and let me tell yeah, you, yeah, I know, that and that fun. worried me. <laughs> <laughs> but like with like all strapped in, you're yeah. not oh, like pre super strapped ice. in. Absolutely, I am not a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> but still, you're edging like yeah. like ice there, climbing is not uh, adrenaline, not a team sure. sport. Anyway, yeah. okay, some adrenaline and crypto this week as well. Certainly, the tornado cash saga continues. Are they arresting developers now, David? Uh, the We're going to yes. get into that. Yeah, there's, there's an arrested developer. Yeah, arrested. That's crazy. That's a big step up. And the, the question on the back of that is: Is Ethereum really censorship resistant? We're going to get into that. What else are we covering, David? Uh, We're also covering the bad boys. Contagion topics are back. We got uh, three arrows capital on the front page of the U- New York magazine. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Also, the Genesis CEO has stepped down and 20% of staff is being laid off as a result of the Oof. crypto contagion. And also more updates on Celsius. So bad boy season. And also coming in in the third <laughs> third hottest thing of the week. <laughs> There's an exact date for the merge. We, know, we knew this last Precise. week. Precise. But somebody has got it down to the minute. Uh, so we're going to talk about that as well. All right, David, let's check out some markets, man. What is Bitcoin telling us this week? Uh, Bitcoin, uh, slightly down, slightly down, down 4.7%. Uh, started the week at 24,500, ending the week where we are today at 23,400. Okay, slightly down on the week. Slightly no down. clear signal uh, above 20K. I'm not feeling good about Bitcoin in, in, unless it's above 30K. But how about ETH? What's that looking like? Yeah, ETH uh, down 2.2% on the week, start of the week at 1900, currently clocking in at 1860. Are you surprised? I mean, we're going to get into all of the, uh, you know, like the OFAC stuff, arrested developer censorship stuff in a bit more detail. But are you surprised that this action didn't hit ETH even harder? Like price just kind of shrugged it off. Yeah, that I guess that is a good point. That like all there the tornado OFAC stuff was a big deal, is a big deal. And like it's been it's gonna like now it's two weeks in a row that like crypto Twitter has been dominated by this like uh tornado cash OFAC conversation. Am I surprised that it didn't hit ETH harder? Um, maybe. I guess so. I guess in, in a different state of the market, I would have expected that to hit the price a little bit more. But like it goes back to 
are we in a bear market? Are we in a bull market? Are we in a crab market? And like one of the big indications, the like actual solid indications of what kind of market you're in is what do what does news do to prices? And if bad news doesn't tank prices, you're in a bull market. If good news makes prices go up, you're in a bull market. I agree. Um, yeah. And I, I, I do think back to the, the statement, I don't care if we say it every week on the roll up, it's fine. Uh, sentiment follows price. Mm-hmm. Sentiment follows price. And so I, I think if prices on ETH were down like 15% on the week, there'd mm-hmm. probably be a different narrative spun out. There's all OFAC, all censorship. That's why that's why ETH is down on the week. So because it's flat, that really wasn't part of the, the narrative this week. And uh, I, I do think it's a, maybe an indication that we are not in a bear market. It's, it's also uh, worth considering that like these seven day price updates that we do every single roll up. Like since we have what is basically one month on the screen, the seven days, it's just that red square that I'm, I'm moving my cursor around right here. It, the trajectory, the trend is clearly up. And so if we went for 14 days, it would be green. Uh, and yeah. so like the seven day, it, it, the inside, the seven day of just like just down 2.2%, it's actually in like a monthly long uptrend and it's still fitting there. True, true. So by the way, that's short, my cursor, noise, David. Yeah. That's not your cursor. Well, you, you can't you don't see your see, cursor. Yes, they can. I'm, I'm, really? I'm the one who's recording my screen. Yeah, no you way. I didn't you know You can't that. see my cursor. Yeah. Oh my God. I thought it was yeah. my cursor this entire time. Well, no, I, I do. I do capture your cursor. I also capture my cursor. There's double you, cursors that people two are cursors. seeing on YouTube. Yeah. And also mine's bigger. See, I just placed my cursor over <laughs> your cursor and you can't, and your cursor is gone. <laughs> Unbelievable. All this time. And now I find out, I guess I actually should have watched a roll up on YouTube to see that previously. <laughs> or on Spotify, by the way. Yeah. On Spotify, you can catch that. Uh, Coinbase. Sorry. No, Coin, Coin, market, Coin market cap. Yeah. Yeah. What's the what's the crypto market cap this week? We uh, are where? We are Probably. slightly down on the week. We uh, ended last week at 1.2 trillion. We are at 1.17. So down $30 billion. Basically noise. Basically Above noise. a trillion. Okay. This is a metric we've been paying closer attention to, and it's gotten a lot more interesting in the Very last few months. Yeah. That is the ETH Bitcoin <laughs> ratio. What is that like on the week? Yeah, it is up on the week. It is up 2.4%, almost breaching 0.08. It broke uh, 0.08 earlier this week. Um, fell back down, but now we are at 0.097957. So the ratio looking real good. Real, the real trend good. on this has been up. We've got a, uh, yeah. another graphic we'll show a little bit later when we when we talk about it. But let's talk about the bullishness that is the merge because oh, we okay. can't not. I'd love to. I'd love to David, talk about this. We're like... Less than a month out, okay? Right. It's like mm-hmm. less than four months. It for, uh, a four, month four from weeks. now, four weeks. Yes, <laughs> let me not fund the merge. <laughs> four weeks from now, we will be in a post-merge world, and this is what that world will look like. Monetary issuance rates. If you compare fiat, the dollar, Ethereum proof of work, gold, and Bitcoin, and proof of stake, Ethereum proof of stake. I'm going to read these numbers from you, and this is from a Bloomberg uh, report, actually, where the increasing their coverage of Ethereum, it's getting me pretty bullish. So if you look at the uh, fiat issuance rate from the 1970s until now, it's been about 12.8%, 12.9%. If you look at just the dollar, it's issued, this is different than inflation, this is issuance, at 9.2%, okay, mm-hmm. per year. These are all annualized issuance, numbers. Yeah. Ethereum has been, under proof of work, 4.2%. Right, so already significantly less than fiat, but gold is even better than that. They only mine about 1.8% gold from the ground, new gold issuance every single year since the 1970s. Silver, a little bit better than that, 1.4%. Bitcoin, better still. 
Of course, well, right now. The, that, that number that they are showing on screen is post-2024 happening. So they yes. are jumping forward in future. So the current issuance rate is about uh, 1.7%. Uh, One point, yes. 1.6, 1.7. Post which which the next makes happening. Bitcoin on par with gold. Ba- basically. And that's currently. Mm-hmm. Now, that's if current. you want to uh, project forward to the next happening, that'll be cut in half again. So it'll be 0.8%, 0.9%, something like this. But Ethereum, under proof of stake... Coming in in four weeks from now at 0.18 percent. All right, with, and with then if fees, demand recovers, with current fees, yeah, issuance, mm-hmm. and then that's with current fees. And if demand recovers to uh, the fees that we were generating right. it, during the bull market or over the past year or so, it will be deflationary at negative 0.43 percent. Pretty stunning numbers here, David. Yeah, we've been talking on previous rollups of like, man, Ryan, we might not be uh, deflationary post-merge. But then yeah. if you look at this graph right here and it's like, oh, it's we'll, we'll be 0.0, we'll be 0.18% inflationary. It's like, oh, like who it, cares? It does, it's, you, the difference between 0.18% inflationary versus negative 0.43% is like actually relatively small. Dude, it's and like these still scales fundamentally like, bullish. These scales for fiat and gold are like 50 year scales. Right. Right. We're going right. to be like, this is yeah. when you're a monetary asset, you have to look in 50 year scales. There's mm-hmm. another number that was on this graphic that I, I want to get you weigh in, uh, your way in on is if you actually look at Apple stock buyback, mm-hmm. okay, that's a deflationary asset too at negative 3.7%. Right. And so buybacks, some people, yeah. when I posted this, uh, they said, well, actually, if you're saying Ether is a great store of value, you should actually be saying um, Apple is an even better store of value. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting take. But the difference between Apple and Ether is Apple is not a monetary asset, all right? Mm-hmm. It's not used within the Apple economy. You can't pay anything with Apple dollars or Apple as a, a unit of uh, exchange. There is no there is. reservation demand for Apple stock in financial, like, well, actually, okay, so you could, like, you could, like, stake, you could, like, collateralize your Apple stock if you're a billionaire and you can, like, make that deal with Goldman Sachs. Slight amount, that's it. Right, but, like, other than that, like, it's not, like, inside of permissionlessly global networks that have DeFi applications that are uh, also permissionlessly built. Right. And, and it so, never will be because it doesn't mm-hmm. have the credible neutrality because Certainly. Tim Cook and, right. and team can change the issuance policy at a whim, right. stop those right. Uh, buybacks, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. have the credib- uh, credible neutrality, doesn't have the decentralization, is not used as a store mm-hmm. of value, unit of exchange, uh, and um, what's the other one? Medi- uh, medium of exchange and unit of account. It's not yeah. used as a money. Right. And uh, so like, but Ether actually gets like the best of both worlds. It gets the stock buyback mechanism of EIP 1559, which is the same mechanism that drove Apple stock to be like, quote unquote, deflationary. So it gets that. But it also gets the reservation demand of being like collateral money inside of DeFi. It gets to have both. Yeah. I, I agree. Compare it to equities, compare it to monetary instruments. You kind of have to compare it to both. And in both, mm-hmm. it's pretty favorable. I've got to yeah. say, yeah. uh, we are bullish on ETH and so are you, David. Here's a tweet from you. Yeah. So here, here's a nice metaphor that I was cooking up. Uh, and I say, think of the merge as a current, like a, an ocean current or like a river current swimming against the current, which is equivalent to swimming against proof of work issuance is hard. If you are a swimmer and you are swimming upstream, you are swimming and you're probably not going very far. You're getting a, you're becoming a really good swimmer, but because you are have to swim against the current, which is swimming against the structural cell pressure of proof of work miners, you're swimming against the current. Like you're, you're a strong swimmer, but you're not going anywhere. And so 
I say Bitcoin and Ether have become strong swimmers in order to sustain their current prices. They're swimming against the current. They're developing their muscles, uh, but they're not really going very far. They're not moving. But the merge kills the current because it kills the structural cell pressure of all of the proof of work miners. And so as Ether has become this like jacked swimmer swimming upstream, <laughs> all of a sudden this, the, the stream doesn't stop being upstream and it actually starts being downstream. And so Ether goes from swimming against the current to swimming with the current. And so I continue in, in the tweet thread um, uh, that I say like, when Ethereum's network activity increases, EIP-1559 actually increases the speed of the current that is pushing Ether forward. And so like the speed of water that the swimmer is swimming in increases or decreases as a function of gas fees, as a function of EIP burning. And so the more network activity, the faster the current is that's pushing Ether forward after Ether's already developed all of these jacked muscles swimming really fast. And so like that's like a, that's like the metaphor of the merge and ether like supply economics right now. What I love about David Hoffman metaphors is you could just close your eyes and just visualize them. Mm-hmm. So if that didn't stick with you the first time, close your eyes, rewind <laughs> this up, rewind this podcast <laughs> and listen to that again because I got the ASMR, yeah. <laughs> that's what's happening. And the question I think is is the merge priced in or not? We had an excellent episode with Hal Press who's I think the best writer, the best thinker mm-hmm. on this, the best investor on this, he literally bet his fund on the merge trade. He wrote a fantastic post in uh, the Bankless newsletter that you should absolutely read. It's uh, fairly long, but it is incredibly detailed. Uh, send this to somebody with a tie, financial analysts mm-hmm. as well. They'll enjoy this. And we did an episode with him earlier in the week that you can catch on the feed. But David, we've got to get the contrary take a mm-hmm. little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. And the contrary take to all of this bullishness is... Hey, ETH bulls, crypto bulls, here's a tweet from Clark. You weren't playing any ETH merge. You were telling yourself a comfortable story while you longed the S&P. I think he is showing a correlation between uh, Ethereum maybe and the S&P price on this chart. I'm not sure if that's what we're, we're that, looking that's at here. That's what's going on. That's what's going yeah, that's on. what's yes. going on here. So <laughs> basically the tweeter is saying, hey, ETH bulls, like you're getting so excited, but look, NASDAQ's up. We right. all know risk on assets do really well when NASDAQ's right. up. And that's what you're actually trading. Cut cut out the ETH merge BS. This is actually right. just the NASDAQ and S&P. Stocks are up, so ETH goes up uh, in you know a higher beta form. And they're probably right to some degree. <laughs> and you know, perhaps ease, decent, a decent degree. Like maybe it's actually greater than 50% of the effect. But we know with complete certainty, at least I'm completely certain, that it's not the full story. And we know that that is true because of the ETH BTC ratio has rocketed off the floor going from where it was at like 0.05 to where it is now at 0.08. And so did Bitcoin follow the S&P 500? Perhaps yes. Did Ether follow the S&P 500? Perhaps yes. But Ether was like a 2x multiplier on what Bitcoin did. And so like only one of these things followed the S&P and one of these things followed the S&P even more. Uh, and Ether did it even more. And I, my argument is like, that's clearly because of the S&P or because I, of the merge. I agree. We're, so we're looking at uh, an ETH Bitcoin chart. And this is actually from an Arthur Hayes article, basically talking about how bullish he is on ETH, uh, the asset and the merge and the trades. So we'll include a link to that in the show notes. He just published that this week. It's great, great article as well. And he's showing like, this is ETH Bitcoin ratio. And you can see that line of the merge probability mm-hmm. increasing. And right. ETH is just gaining strength on Bitcoin. Yeah. But also, interestingly enough, David, alt uh, layer ones are mm. not doing the same thing Ether is, right. Right. okay? 
they are, are still so not up point. relative to Ether. So that that's another, you, you might say, well, of course, ETH is up relative to, to Bitcoin because it's more, uh, you know, you know um, risk risk off uh, risk on excuse me but all layer ones have not appreciated relative to to um, ether so I think this really goes to the fact that people are pricing in the merge that's kind of what we're seeing in the eth price right now at least all the evidence points towards that David got a lot more to talk about what are we what are we going to cover next uh, coming up next are they arresting crypto developers and is that the future of crypto because uh, there's already one in jail. So we're going to talk about that arrest and why that happened and our speculation around that. And leading to the broader question, is Ethereum really censorship resistant? Like they're, they're, I, I'm pretty sure, Ryan, there's a bunch of listeners that don't uh, pay attention to crypto Twitter. So like they kind of get it through this. And so we're going to speed run them through the seven day conversation that was the Ethereum community on crypto Twitter about its relationship with censorship, uh, because a lot happened on that conversation in the last seven days. So we're going to we're going to give that conversation to listeners. And also, of course, bad boys, bad boys, what are you going to do? <laughs> Three Arrows Capital is on the cover of New York Magazine. Not in a good way. Uh, Alex Mashinsky uh, took over trading of Celsius in the last days uh, and really drove that thing into the ground in a, in a grand fashion. And of course, the Genesis CEO steps down and lays off 20% of employees with it. So all of this spicy, spicy stuff and more coming right after we get through some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Arrest of suspected developer of Tornado Cash. Uh, no longer suspected. We do know that this is actually the Tornado Cash developer. And this is FIOD.NL, the website, which is a Netherlands website as to where, because that's where this uh, individual, this developer was arrested in Amsterdam. So on Wednesday, August 10th, the FIOD arrested a 29-year-old man in Amsterdam who was uh, suspected of involvement in concealing criminal financial flows and facilitating money laundering through the mixing cryptocurrencies through the decentralized Ethereum mixing service Tornado Cash. FIOD is the, the uh, Netherlands Investigation of Financial Services and Final Financial Crime Organization, and they arrested a Tornado Cash developer. Now, uh, there's it's one thing to arrest open source developers. Uh, that would be egregious. Uh, we're not totally sure if that's what happened. And so there's speculation out there that not only was this uh, this person happened to be a Tornado Cash developer, but they were actually perhaps also assisting and like uh, aiding people in laundering money. Um, but we don't actually know because FIOD released a statement that basically didn't give us any clarity. Ryan, what's your take on this? Well, my take on this is, you know, first of all, it seems very much like possibly they didn't have another reason for arresting this Tornado Cash developer rather than publishing the code. As David, you said, we're not certain of that. Uh, that is kind of the base case assumption. And if that's the case, a man was arrested for writing code that served as a public good for people to maintain their privacy online. That means they put a man in jail because people use his open source code. And I don't think, David, that can stand in any free society on earth. As you said, we still don't know if there are other reasons that this arrest was made, but uh, I believe on the 16th, uh, Fiad provided some sort of mm -hmm. statement on this, but it wasn't really clear. This is Jake Chervinsky saying, they refuse to say what charges are alleged, if any, so we still don't know if they think writing code is a crime. Does Fiad think writing code is a crime? Two outcomes I, I see here is that there is an ongoing investigation that they don't want to show their cards for. 
and this is me like trying to retain my grip of bullishness on humanity as in like there's a really <laughs> yeah, good reason trying. i'm trying here is that like there's this guy like aided and embedded like money laundering of criminals and actually committed crimes versus uh they didn't say anything because they know that like they just arrested this guy for building tornado cash which is the outcome i do not want so it's possible that the first outcome, the bu- still be bullish on humanity outcome right. is uh, is still out there, right? And so yeah. we need to remain open to that possibility. But I will say a few other things happened congruent with this, which is right. um, they deactivated the Tornado Cash Discord. Right. Okay. They killed the GitHub repos yep. of all devs. Mm-hmm. And these were centralized companies doing this. So you could argue this is kind of a chilling effect, but still the chilling effect is an effect, isn't it? Right. It's legally a legally defined term, as you explained last week on, on the Tornado Cash episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this is the backdrop where OFAC actually banned not individuals, but they banned some smart contract code. So right. w- what, what is the weight of evidence point us towards for this arrest? It is mm-hmm. very possible that they made an arrest of an open source developer who just published some open source code Bad guys used it, and that's why they want to send him to prison. Mm. And if so, that is a big, big problem, I think. Mm. Not for, we'll get to these stakes later, not necessarily for Ethereum, not necessarily for crypto, though it is a problem for for the technology, more a problem for the, uh, the countries and the citizens that live in those countries who are restricting their First Amendment freedoms. First Amendment, of course, is a, I guess that's a U.S. only term, right. but like, Freedom of speech, freedom to write and publish code. Um, some of these things are, are, are very important in any free democratic society. And these are the things that are in threat of being breached right now. And without evidence that these uh, FIOD arrested this developer because they actually committed explicit and real crimes, then I think as a community, we have to assume that the man is innocent and didn't do anything uh, until they tell us. Then in my mind, this guy just got arrested for writing code. So what are the legal experts telling us at Coin Center? This is a crypto lobby group that uh, investigates this. And yeah, as lawyers on staff, what are they saying, David? Yeah, so Coin Center released a very thorough and detailed uh, statement analysis, legal analysis of the OFAC ruling of Tornado Cash being uh, on the SDN list. Uh, so so here, here's basically some excerpts from it that I think are important. Uh, they write, if the Tornado Cash application is not property in which some foreign country or national has an interest then the Tornado Cash application cannot properly be added to the SDN list or blocked under the specific powers granted by Congress to the president in the IEEPA. Um, IEEPA is what gives OFAC power. Uh, something should be, someone should be able to challenge the designation as being made outside the bounds of the statute and therefore invalid. Basically saying OFAC, uh, um, Coin Center saying like, someone should be able to challenge this. So there's, there's like strong legal grounds for somebody challenging this. And uh, Coin Center basically lays out the two big claims as to why somebody could challenge this. So claim one, OFAC's designation of certain autonomous contract addresses denies Americans their liberty and property without proper procedural due process. Uh, yes, cover this. And claim two, an overbroad interpretation of the IEEPA substantially chills First Amendment protected speech. So those are the, the main core claims that Coin Center believes that there are legal precedents, there's legal ground for someone to take Coin Center to, or excuse me, for someone to take OFAC to court. And Coin Center is not the only uh, organization uh, focused on freedom to release a statement like this. The EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is an organization just dedicated to 
promote the protecting the frontier basically uh and they put out a tweet that says the eff is deeply concerned that the u.s treasury department has concluded included an open source computer project tornado cash on its list of sanctioned individuals tornado cash is an open source software project and website that published a decentralized cryptocurrency mixer and then they go on in their tweet thread and also release uh, an article uh backing this and so now we have our our lobby groups our our protection our like our our frontier protecting agencies uh putting up a, a flag and saying, yo, OFAC, uh, no, back off. Yeah, and I, I, so important to note that OFAC didn't arrest this developer. It was the, the group in the, in the Netherlands, of course. Right. But it's all, like, it's all part of the same thing, isn't yeah. it? This global yeah. kind of financial apparatus trying to enforce these, quote-unquote, financial crimes. And is privacy one of those financial crimes? This mm-hmm. is a, a great tweet from Alex, David. What are we looking at? Just if you want to get the scope of other notable mm-hmm. money laundering scandals in perspective. And let it be known, of course, Tornado Cash was used by some bad guys for money laundering. I Certainly. think you pegged the percentage at like 35%, according mm-hmm. to you, to analysts. So at least 35% of the funds inside of Tornado Cash was like North Korea and some mm-hmm. other like bad actors, money launderers. But that wasn't the only use case. And let's compare mm-hmm. it to other money laundering scandals in history. What are we looking at here, David? Yeah, so we're looking at a graphic of just the the previous biggest money laundering scandal. So coming in at number one at $390 billion, we have the 2010 Wachovia Wells Fargo case, uh, where which was allowed to uh, allowed drug cartels from Mexico to launder th- almost $400 billion during 2004 to 2007. Damn. Coming in at number one. Coming in at number two, 265 billion standard chartered British ba- uh, British banking giant 2012 accused by New York Department of Financial Services of its failure to uh, control money laundering then helped the Iranian government to circumvent U.S. regulations to clear money to the tune of 265 billion. Damn. Uh, Donks Bank, Donks Bank, Donks Bank. Money laundering scandal arose in 2017 to 2018 when it was uh, became known that 200 million, uh, 200 billion euros of uh, suspicious. Suspicious transactions flowed from Estonian, Russian, and Latvian sources through the Estonian bank branch of Denmark Bank, Donks Bank, from 2007 to 2015. 228 billion. Damn. And so, uh, going to go back through those again. 390 billion from Wells Fargo. What happened was a 160 million dollar fine. No arrests. Uh, the standard charter, the number two, 265 billion. The bank paid a $842 million fine and disciplined 10 employees. I wonder what that means. Severe <laughs> discipline. Um, <laughs> <It's a beautiful laughs> uh, coming in at $228 billion, the Danks Bank uh, result, 10 employees were arrested. So 10 people went to jail. Okay. All right. Uh, no, no fine. Um, Maybe not to jail, just initially arrested. Arrested, yeah. We don't know yeah, what yeah, the yeah. outcomes were. Coming in at number four, eight billion uh, HSBC. Uh, uh, the result was this: a three hundred million dollar fine, no arrests. Uh, coming in at number five, eleven billion Westpac Bank. Uh, bank paid a one point three billion dollar fine, no arrests. Tornado Cash coming in at number six. Uh, Tornado Cash Possibly. open source. Question Possibly, mark, yes. right? We don't uh, know. At its highest point, it held five hundred to nine hundred million dollars. But while authorities linked some of these addresses to North Korean hacker groups, it's unclear how much of that total was used for illegal purposes. Ryan, earlier you said thirty-five uh, percent uh, was in Tornado Cash. That was yeah. in Tornado Cash at the moment of it getting added to the OFAC list, and that's after the Nomad Bridge hike uh, heist, all of these other recent uh, heists. When I was using Tornado Cash as for my own personal use cases, like uh, in 2021, it was really before, <laughs> pre, pre-sanctioned, importantly, pre-sanctioned. <laughs> it was really before all of the bridge uh, heists that we've seen. 
And so like, I bet you back in 2021, it was way below 35%. I bet you it was something down below 20%. And the scope of this, we're talking like, look, $100 million to $300 million, all right? Mm -hmm. Look at these things. Insane. Uh, $390 billion. Our friends Wells Fargo Mm -hmm. in 2010 did this. Standard Charter, $265 billion, billion with a B, versus like, 100 to 300 million dollars, right? And these are banks. Mm-hmm. These are banks doing this. So what, banks. David? Should should we shut down the banks? Like just I, shut down banks? I'm sorry. No bank has ever given me any privacy services. Like what what have they done for me? Tornado Cash gave me privacy services. These banks didn't do shit for me, Ryan. If the rationale is that smart contract code can be used by money launderers, we also know that banks can be used and are used by money launderers. And by the way, these are just the ones we've caught. Okay? Mm-hmm. So in that rationale, we're, we're trying to sanction the smart contract code. Should we also sanction all banks, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is not the way to handle the situation. It, 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 it pe- uh, appears very egregious to me. But David, maybe we should talk about the, the conversation on right. Twitter. And that is part two of our story here, because there are a lot of implications. Uh, there's some backlash too, but there are a lot of implications of getting smart contract code on the OFAC list. What is the first implication here? And what are we looking at? Yeah, this is going back to the chilling effect uh, that has been created as a result of this OFAC SDN list of Tornado Cash. So uh, Micah Zoltul, he put out a tweet saying, adding to the shame list, OpenSea, DYDX, and Microsoft, because Microsoft owns GitHub. Uh, And he says, all of these companies have gone beyond what the sanction laws required. They didn't just obey an unjust order, they went out of their way to do additional injustice. And so there's been this meme created about these, the over-complior uh, and so, like, ah, I'm over complying. Did you see the OFAC additions today? Uh, modifies no to censor transactions. Seven hops from Tornado Cash, fire an AML report. There's all of these people in the ecosystem that are just like doing these things that was not requested of them, not related to the OFAC SDN list, and is censoring and, and prohibiting freedoms and users from doing the things that they want. Well, it's true. Everyone on Ethereum with an ETH address is probably two or three hops, maybe four hops away we, we from knew, a Tornado we know Cash that, there, OFAC. That yeah. was an, an analysis. Analysis. Like the 90% of Ethereum addresses are two hops away from a Tornado Cash user. <laughs> 90%. And the, I mean, that's probably because of like uh, the aggregation of centralized exchanges, but whatever. Sure. Uh, so some of the people doing this, Ave had a front end block. So Anthony Cezano, one of the recipients of uh, to Sazzle.eth, a 0.1 ETH from the Tornado Cash like dusting that happened, he got blocked from the Ave front end. Ave has recently, has since then pulled back all of this front end blocking. But they, they it was a third party that they used for the blocking, right? And yeah. they said, we mm-hmm. got to get more control over the third party right. and it's just the ui not the smart contract but smart still contracts. even just right. the ui i get right. it uh dydx blocking tornado cash user so if you've used tornado cash you get blocked from dydx and these are things that like are they are not required of them uh and so this triggered a conversation on twitter it's like yo like is ethereum like going to just bend over backwards and become like the censorship chain uh and this triggered a huge conversation inside of the ethereum community well, there was a back and forth that, that I had um, over the weekend with uh, Antonio. And I, I want to make kind of like, because it, it's important not to get overly like purist about this as well, right? Uh, and so I, I tweeted out, and this is around the time of where I was starting to see UI blockages from the OSAC. It's time for DeFi to grow some backbone and fight back instead of just blocking ETH addresses. Unelected bureaucrats blacklisting citizens without cause or due process is unconstitutional, illegal, and incompatible with the free society. It does If it doesn't stop here, it just gets worse. And then Antonio, who is the uh, founder of DYDX, so he was like, 
what do you, what am I supposed to do, Ryan? Like, mm-hmm. are you saying you want me to go to jail? And if, if you're saying that, then why don't you spin up a front end of Tornado Cash? Like, why don't you put right. some stake in the game? And right. to be clear, that that's really not what I'm saying, right? It's like, I replied to him, no, it's not time to go to jail. Let's be smart. But also, on the other hand, it's not time for DeFi, David, to sit down and die. And I fe- really feel like this week has been a wake-up call for DeFi. We have to catch our breath. We have mm-hmm. to organize. We have to develop some strategy around this, deploy some resources and execute. I'm not saying now is the time to go to jail for like <laughs> an organization like DYDX, but we have to find strategic legal ways to push back on this, uh, to, to protest, and to move uh, crypto and DeFi forward. And I think this has been a wake-up call for that. Yeah, certainly. Um, but it's actually gotten even worse. Um, there it has been a conversation of like this fork of geth, which is facetiously being called OFAC geth, which is a version of geth that does not propagate transactions or validate blocks with sanctioned transactions. And this is Stefan from uh, Flashbots, who is actually going to come out on the podcast on Monday. Um, but he's being facetious about this. I'm not saying he's actually like creating OFAC geth. But the conversation that it's a to bring bring up the conversation is that like there's this world where like we have these Ethereum clients that download a list of Ethereum of sanctioned Ethereum addresses and just like don't include transactions from those Ethereum addresses. It's in the so base this, layer software. It's a base layer software which creates protocol level censorship, which uh, in my mind is bad. Uh, but the point is, it's, it triggered this conversation, which is really, really, it was a great conversation that the community had on, on crypto Twitter. Uh, and then so we, the next part of this conversation, I think, was really uh, triggered by Lefteris. And he, uh, Lefteris, uh, can't pronounce his last name, sorry. He goes, question for Lido, Coinbase, Kraken, Staked US, and Bitcoin Suisse. These are all the biggest Ethereum stakers. And he asked them, if a regulator asks you to censor at the Ethereum protocol level with your validators, what would you do? Would you A, comply and censor at the protocol level, or B, shut down the staking service in order to preserve network integrity? And he's retweeting a tweet that talks about just like, if you add all these stakers together, you get something like 80 or 90% of all stake. Uh, and so this this conversation really triggered just, uh, the, the conversation that, that flowed. And so Eric Wall, uh, a man with very sharp edges, who's also very poignant, says, <laughs> question for the Ethereum community. If a majority of stake chooses A in this poll, uh, and this is the, the poll that Lefteris put, would you, one, X, consider the censorship an attack on Ethereum and burn their stake via social consensus, and we'll define what social consensus is, or Y, tolerate the censorship? And then, and then he scrolls down and, and actually puts a poll. And so the poll is, you know, X or Y, X, burn the stake, Y, accept the censorship. And coming in at 61%, we have the, the people chose X. 9% of people chose Y. So a very stark difference. And then 30% of people sh- uh, picked uh, show, show results. And so really, this is, a, uh, uh, this is not really something that you can put into the protocol level that the Ethereum community will state, we will uh, burn your stake if you censor. This is something that we need to communicate to each other as a community. It's like, these are our values, and we're going to make these values explicit. Well, can, can you just walk through that for people? Because mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure everyone understands the mechanism of how social, like how the, the you know, like uh, a social fork could essentially burn people's stake right. and, and yep. create a fork that is like uncensored while the mm-hmm. censored fork happens. Could you just walk through a scenario sure. here? So let's say those stakers in Leftress's tweet uh, become evil 
Mm -hmm. we call it evil, Coinbase, Kraken, all of them, you know, and they decide to say- Or just some of them. Yeah, and maybe it's not evil. They just just say, we have to comply with OFACT. And Mm -hmm. so we are now going to only validate blocks from uh, every other block that is not on an OFAC sanction list. So essentially they create an OFAC sanctionable uh, Ethereum base layer. And because there's so much stake there, uh, Mm -hmm. essentially a lot of blocks are not getting, they they kind of control it. So what happens in this scenario? What is Eric Wall actually teeing up? What does the Mm -hmm. Ethereum social layer, layer zero do about this? Right, so the, the scenario here is that if all of those listed entities, Coinbase, Lido, Kraken, all the big stakers, all followed OFAC sanctions lists and didn't propagate any blocks that included transactions that came from an OFAC sanctioned list, basically, if you are an OFAC sanctioned list address, your block, you only get like one, like five out of a hundred blocks that will be validated by a staker who's not following the OFAC sanctions list. So like five out of a hundred blocks of your transactions only go through. So make Ethereum just really hard to use. And the Ethereum community through this poll where like like 61 to 9 say that we will not tolerate that and we will send we will uh, burn their stake via social consensus. What does that mean? In Ethereum, we have this concept called slashing. And slashing is this very objective event of you're a proof of stake validator with a stake bond and you try to process an invalid block. You lied to the blockchain. Uh, you, you did some irregular thing and that is completely objective. Uh, objective. You publish two blocks and they're conflicting, trying to fork the chain, basically doing something invalid and you're trying to attack, attack the chain. That's what we do with slashing that is objective and built into the protocol and it's going to happen automatically. Then there's this thing called social slashing, which is something is going on with a, with a validator. Maybe it's Coinbase, maybe it's Lido. They're censoring an address. Maybe they're censoring every single transaction. And so like, imagine like, nine, like all of these people, all of these 90% of uh, stakers, Lido, Coinbase, Kraken, like the, the government comes and says, hey, we want you to shut down Ethereum. And since you're producing 90% of blocks, we want your blocks to be completely empty. And they then if they had a gun to their head, they would probably choose to not die and only publish empty blocks. And that would be censoring 90% of blocks that would go through Ethereum, making the blockchain really, really just troublesome and useless. And so in the, in the event that this happens, you can't actually slash that person at the protocol level because it's more subjective as to what is going on. As in Coinbase is not processing transactions that interact with Uniswap. Like they're still processing blocks and the blocks are valid. They're just choosing to not include transactions that interact with Uniswap or interact with Tornado Cash or do something. And so how do we as a community get back our ability to use these DeFi apps? We There's this thing called social slashing or a user activated soft fork. And so what this means is that because we have this like unique property in Ethereum that Coinbase, Kraken, Lido, these blocks are being proposed by specific Ethereum addresses. So we know these specific Ethereum addresses are censoring transactions and these specific Ethereum addresses have some amount of ether staked with them. And so what we can do is we can fork the chain and we can do something that punishes them. We can either freeze their stake. Uh, the, the most nuclear option is you can just delete their entire stake. Um, that would be pretty pretty damn nuclear. We probably wouldn't do that on the first iteration. The, f- the thing that we probably do first is we would do what is called a, an inactivity leak. We would prevent them from being able to validate the chain and they would be forced to withdraw their ether staked from the network. And during that time, they are no longer able to process blocks. 
Uh, and then they like, you could also slash them some arbitrary amount. We would have to decide this as a community, but I think the, the first step would be like, Hey, we're just going to kick you out of the validator pool. We're not going to, we're not going to delete your ether. We're going to inactivity leak you, which means you are losing as much ether as you otherwise would be gaining if you were staking. So forcing you to exit and kicking you out of the validator pool and only allowing validators who have not been censoring. And this is, this is a social slashing event. This is a user activated soft fork. This is something that the community would have to coordinate around saying, Hey, OFAC made Coinbase and Lido and uh, Kraken. They made them by the powers of the nation state, the monopoly on violence. They made them censor transactions. And we do not accept that in the base layer. And so we are going to coordinate around a fork. And when that fork does is that kicks these validators out of the validating pool and they must withdraw their ETH or else the, it's just like in limbo if they don't. And so this is what's called a user activated soft fork. And it's something that can only be done by social consensus of the Ethereum community, which is why this poll from Eric Wall is so important because it's showing that a 61 to nine ratio of Ethereum community members says that we will do this if, if our entities, uh, censor transactions now this is a twitter poll of course right it's like it's mm -hmm. not necessarily um reflective of every, everyone of course but like what david's describing is basically the end game scenario here so a bunch mm -hmm. of stakers centralized stakers decide that they are going to censor ethereum via ofac okay the community says we're not running that software we're continuing to run the original non-ofac version of geth we'll fork you this is the mm -hmm. true ethereum and then uh, they're trying to run an OFAC version or a censored version of Ethereum. And then like, it's forked. So you have mm. ETH on both chains. You have every DeFi app that needs to select which one to, uh, to spend their resources on. The community has to decide, a set of validators, which, which one to uh, essentially run, which software to run. And it's a fork war. And may the best fork win. And I think, David... In every single case, what will happen is as long as we have a social layer around Ethereum that says, look, censorship resistance is baked into the base layer of the Ethereum project, this is the true Ethereum, mm -hmm. that the non-censorable version of Ethereum will win in the end. And the reason it will win, we know this from a game theory perspective, is why would China go deploy and trust the OFAC version of Ethereum that's completely right. US controlled. They're not going mm -hmm. to. So the state will continue to collect to the non-censorable version of Ethereum and the community will eventually win. Like this is what I mean. As long as you have a layer zero, a social layer that is upholding these values and willing to run the original version of like Ethereum that is non-censored, we win. And this is what would happen. It would be a messy outcome. The cool, the cool news I think is if you're an ETH holder, you just get ETH on the OFAC version of the chain. Right. You could sell that yeah, <laughs> if you that. want to. But dump that because it doesn't align with your values. Dump that. It doesn't align your values. If you want to, or you could keep it, you could do whatever you want. And then you could um, you could run validators on the the real Ethereum chain that is uncensored. That's that's where you'll find me. You're going to find me on yep. the, the non-censored Ethereum chain. I think a large portion of the community, you'll find them there too. By the way, this same mechanism plays out in Bitcoin, does it not? Right. Yes, and this is a great history lesson. So we we can move forward, and, and it's, but one of the reasons why I focus on this, yeah, this conversation on Tenado Cash happened on Crypto Twitter. It's really important that this conversation happened because a lot of new people came into Ethereum in the last like 12, 18, 24 months that are still learning concepts like this, and so we have to have these conversations out in the public yes. where the Ethereum community defines like, hey, like these are our values. 
Like, no censorship at the base layer. Uh, and so this conversation continues. Uh, Eric Connor retweeted Eric Wall and says, I do agree with Eric. We should make it known as a community that we, stakers, will burn the stake of any entity. Burn at the stake any entity that tries to censor transactions no matter the reason. These are the values that we're indoctrinating, we're instantiating into our layer one. Now, going back to what you just said about uh, this, this the user-activated software has been a mechanism that the crypto world has seen before. The, the, we've done this once before. And so Eric Wall put out this fantastic Twitter thread, which I'm going to read here. And he goes, as the Ethereum community gears up to pre prepare for its user-activated software defenses to force any validator to think thrice before bending over to OFAC, there's going to be a lot of snark from Bitcoiners. And so uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Bitcoiner uh, relevancy here. It's envy. User-activated soft forking is the single most exciting thing that you can do in crypto. Bitcoiners <laughs> had their user-activated soft fork moment in 2017, and it is their proudest moment. I am a Bitcoiner, and it is my proudest Bitcoin moment. The idea that Ethereum would even be even close to achieving something similar is the most annoying thing that could ever happen. <laughs> They'll never let you have it. The entire Bitcoin rhetoric relies on the reason that they were able to pull off their user-activated soft fork is because users ran full notes. This is the basis for the entire design philosophy. It is... Uh, it is true that the ability to run a full node is useful in a user-activated soft fork, but annoyingly, Ethereum can still pull it off, annoyingly to, to Bitcoiners. First off, Ethereum users can run nodes, despite what Bitcoiners will tell you. Even if the de uh, default is to sync using state commitments, that doesn't mean you can't enforce a user-activated soft fork. You, of course, can. Secondly, the outcome of a user-activated soft fork is a much more of a market phenomenon anyways. You still win a user-activated soft fork just by dem demonstrating superior pricing power. So meaning that if, if you're not a person who doesn't know how to run a node or doesn't want to, you can still dump all of your OFAC ETH and buy Easy. all of your censorship resistance What's the true ETH. Ethereum? Is it ETH Classic? It's the one it that Ethereum? has a higher price. Yeah. Right. And so uh, Eric Wall continues and goes, all of these things should be narrative violations for Bitcoiners. Ethereans should not be able to user activated soft fork is a core Bitcoin thesis. And I'll say this, Bitcoiners are better at user activating soft fork than Ethereans. They are, but they weren't born without ability. They were taught that they had this power. But what, what is that word, Ryan? I Shall, have no idea. I, I, I don't know. Fry? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Ethereans can be taught the same, basically saying that Bitcoiners don't have a monopoly on the concept of a user-activated soft fork. What most people don't know is that if Ethereans master user-activated soft fork under proof of stake, they gain access to a weapon that is more powerful than the user-activated soft fork of Bitcoiners. This is because a user-activated soft fork in proof of stake can selectively punish censoring validators. I talked about this earlier. Bitcoin, you can't selectively punish a miner. In proof of work, if a majority of hash rate is censoring, you have to build, a, build more hash rate than the attacker, which is possible, it just is hard and takes time. The non-censoring miners also earn transaction fees that the censoring miners do not. I, I wanted to mention this earlier. If you have like OFAC geth and you have 90% of blocks that are, uh, block uh, stakers that are not processing OFAC uh, non-compliant transactions, the remaining 10% of stakers actually make more money because they do get to process those transactions. Right. So you're actually rationally like incentivized to process the illicit transactions. Uh, if you can't overpower the attacker in proof of work, the only option is the nuclear one. You change the proof of work function and vaporize the entire billion dollar mining industry in one shot, but you also kill the honest miners. 
Uh, in proof of stake, there is currently $25 billion of ETH securing the chain. If 10 billion of that is involved in censoring, you can surgically vaporize the bad part and you keep the $15 billion of remaining honest stakers on your side. And you vaporize, it. You vaporize it on your fork, the, non, your fork, the non-censored yes. fork, right? So it's right. like punitive actions. Like, hey, right. you're going to pay for this, guys, because right. your fork's not going to be successful. Ours is. Mm-hmm. And on the successful Ethereum fork, you won't have any of your ETH. That is right. like the the stick that uh, Social Fork can yield. It's brilliant, brilliantly elegant because you reward the honest people and you punish the negative people. Now, Ryan, like I've always been curious about this, like because uh, you and I could take our crypto Twitter conversations into this weekly rollup quite a lot, and I'm actually cognizant that I think maybe like 25, 33 percent of listeners are actually on crypto Twitter. And so yeah. I, I, I've always been kind of curious, like, damn, like from the perspective of the listeners, like, damn, Ryan and David are always concerned about like the Bitcoiners and like the Bitcoin maxis and like the tribes. I want to, I want to go to the quote tweets from Eric Wall's first tweet. And so th- this is the, the set of quote tweets, people that retweeted Eric Wall's tweet. And you're going to get two classes of people here. Uh, one is Ethereans retweeting the tweet saying, I vote X, I vote to slash. And the other is you have Bitcoiners trying to uh, brigand, brigade, brigand the, the poll and saying, Bitcoiners, vote Y because it makes Ethereum look can, bad. Can I just say, whenever you're saying Bitcoiners, I want to make sure that you are talking about like not everyone who owns Bitcoin, but a specific Correct. subset of Bitcoiner, which Correct. is a Bitcoin maximalist who mm-hmm. wants all other chains to fail and only Bitcoin to succeed. That's mm-hmm. what you're talking about when you're shorthanding Bitcoiners, when Eric Correct. Wall is doing that as well. If you're not Maximus. on crypto Twitter, you're not like exposed to these like tribes that are warring yeah, yeah. and the zero sum <laughs> games that are being played. And we're overexposed. I and we say. are <laughs> overexposed to these people. So yeah, if you want to like scroll down, Ryan, and uh, uh, just see some of these conversations, because like if uh, uh, the quote tweets, the list of quote tweets, let's keep scrolling, just go through all of them. There's so many. The list of quote tweets, again, it's like, here's stats, sex, and snacks uh, at it's time for Bitcoin. Imagine what it would feel like to know the integrity of your favorite shitcoin depends and in, in entirely on both stablecoin custodians and a status mole rat that lives in a hundred million dollar LA mansion to do the right thing, even though it could sink them cry harder. Who's so we the have mole these, rat? Like, I don't know. Like these Bitcoiners are insane, dude. LA these Maxis mansion. are insane. And so like, you, again, like there's two types of quote tweeters here. People that are Ethereum saying, I vote X. And then people that are Bitcoin Maxis trying to like manipulate and attack the Ethereum community because of exactly what Eric Wall was saying. It's envy, he says. The user-activated software incorporates the most single exciting thing you can do in crypto, and Bitcoiners don't want Ethereans to have this power because right now it's the only thing that the Bitcoiners have. Maxis. Uh, oh, maxis. 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 Yeah, I, I think that's what's going on. What are we looking at here, David? This is just a, a meme. Like Again, the Ethereum community is taking this opportunity to meme into existence. Like This is the Prex X to doubt. I mean, but it's press X to slash. (laughs) And so the the entire Ethereum community is like, yo, we will absolutely slash anyone who invalidates our values. And and look, so here's the thing. A lot of this is talk, conversation on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. I mean, at the end of the day, if this ever happened, by the way, this is set, I I just want to emphasize, this is still incredibly remote. There's a conversation Mm -hmm. on crypto Twitter, but there is no talk of OFAC or like the Coinbase's of the world or any of the validators running, uh, you know, sanctioned code or right. r- running, running uh, censored uh, code here and, and complying with OFAC sanctions. And OFAC is not even asking about. This. So right. this is just a remote probability that I feel like uh, the crypto space went and ran with this week as a thought exercise, but it's a useful thought exercise, it's but it's useful. still incredibly right. remote. And this is, uh, by the way, we have the stick 
But we also mm-hmm. have like the um, kind of the carrot, I think, for people who are centralized staking providers. So Brian Armstrong actually replied to Lefteris's tweet when he asked, uh, if regulators ask you to censor, do you comply and censor or do you shut down your staking service if you're a Coinbase? Brian Armstrong, mm-hmm. the CEO of Coinbase, says, it's a hypothetical, important to, to note, we hopefully won't actually face. But if we did, I pick option B. I would the, exit. We, yeah. Coinbase would stop staking. It mm-hmm. would not censor transactions. It would not run the OFAC-sanctioned uh, validator code. It would We're, inc- Worth to note that the Coinbase staking is extremely profitable. They make yes. a ton of money. And Brian is saying, instead of censoring the chain and compromising the integrity of Ethereum, we will shut down that business. Just we won't do it. And what will happen if, if they shut down, more people will have to kind of run their own nodes, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I think we've got a lot of defenses against mm-hmm. this level of state the state level of censorship resistance, uh, and I think more uh, defenses in a proof of stake world. And it's wor- it's definitely worth noting that these uh, large entity stakers like Lido, Coinbase, etc., they're highly incentivized to not censor the chain because they don't want to piss off the community. Like they they will will punish you. We have that power. <laughs> and so like the the fact that this conversation is happening and the Ethereum community is planting a flag saying, hey, if you censor our transactions, we're going we'll to fork. kick you out. We'll fork you. Yeah. And, and so we'll like they and we'll burn your stake. And so they have to pick B because the community is forcing them well, to do that. They have a fiduciary responsibility to pick B right. because they could As get well. screwed. Imagine if they got slashed and they lost all of their depositors' money. What are the costs of that? So even just the prospect of us being able to do this and this Mm -hmm. rhetoric on Twitter of like, you do this and we'll fork and we'll slash, that reins them in. They they can't take the risk. It's about having this user-activated soft fork as a threat without actually using it. The fact that it's an option keeps us from having us to use it. Mutually assured destruction, baby. Exactly, exactly. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it, though. Don't Please. do it. <laughs> this will be fine. We don't we have don't to fight. Uh, there were some bad takes, though, on I, takes. I think on this uh, takes. takes. And uh, love Ryan Selkis, previous mm-hmm. guest on Bankless. Respect a lot of his ideas. Great he did guy. not have the best take this week. Nope. Uh, but I think it's a summation of a lot of people who were saying, like, Bitcoin was looking great and uh, Ethereum was looking very censored. What was his take here? Yeah, Ryan Selka says, Ethereum is amazing, but I don't get the sense most in the Ethereum have the stomach to full decentral- for to push full decentralizing without compromises. Uh, USEC, of course, and OFAC imparting that. And then he follows up, Bitcoin remains metal AF. Both are important for the decades ahead, but let's be honest, ETH is FinTech 3, not Web 3. Oof. Absolutely no. terrible <laughs> take, Ryan. Come Love on. Love you, though. Love you, Ryan. <laughs> And so I follow up and I say, Tornado Cash is banned in the United States, yet Tornado Cash is up and running. Ethereum is fulfilling its promise on unstoppable applications, Metal AF, like subtweeting Ryan Selkis here. And so like- You don't let, get points if you don't even have privacy at the base layer, right. okay? And so like, people are just obsessed with giving Bitcoin so much credit. It's like, well, you, you didn't see Bitcoin get banned. You don't get credit for not having any useful applications. It didn't show up to, at the to, game. To, to, it's yeah. on the bench, okay? You're like, Bitcoin is just like this neutered <laughs> app chain. Like, you, you can only get, like, coin mixing at the centralized level, uh, which has oh. also been banned before. 
Bitcoin, because besides, uh, you know, transfers, Bitcoin uses basically it's it's banking layer it's privacy layer it doesn't have one it doesn't have a privacy <laughs> layer but if you did want to use quote unquote privacy it would be through centralized exchanges which are which fully ofac would, compliant yeah you're not in the game guys i love you i love bitcoin censored. it's really important but you're not in the privacy game that's why ofac is not bothering you nation states aren't bothering you is because you don't have a tornado cash on chain that does not make you bitcoin stronger okay yeah. that just <laughs> makes them weaker. not participating in the game that ethereum's playing we're jumping around here, but here's a tweet of all these like annoying Bitcoiners that are on crypto Twitter that are extremely toxic. Eric Wall again says, the Bitcoin maxis want you to fail. You haven't even started and they're already laughing their ass off. This doesn't even include all Bitcoiners though. I'm a Bitcoiner and I will help in, in far as I'm able. And he's put in four screenshots of just, you know, the typical example of like a toxic Bitcoin maxi. Uh, and this is like Dr. Bitcoin MD, a famous crypto Bitcoiner on crypto Twitter, just like laughing at the possibility of a user activated soft fork in Ethereum. Basically, there's like this cohort of Bitcoiners that want to see Ethereum fail. And they are th they think that they are just like about to dance on Ethereum's grave right now because they well, don't think Ethereum has the guts. From a base from a base principles perspective, like so for me, the, the value set, the base principle is uh, freedom, it's decentralization, it's privacy, it's censorship resistance. Okay. And any chain, doesn't matter what it is, any chain that supports those base principles, I support. To the extent Bitcoin supports that, I'm a Bitcoiner. To the extent yep. Ethereum supports that, I am an Ethereum. To the extent Solana supports that, or freaking Tron supports that in the future, mm -hmm. or Cardano, I'm a Cardinian? Is this a, a Tronian? <laughs> Solanian? I don't know. Isn't that a but like, it's, it's, it's not about a specific tribe or a specific coin or a specific asset. It's about a specific set of ideals that we're protecting. Uh, mm -hmm. Another take here, an equally bad take, I think. Oof. This is from uh, Kevin O'Leary, another previous bankless guests. We love you, Kevin. You've got a lo lot of great takes. This was not one of them. This is a hell no. Kevin O'Leary says, essentially, I'm glad the Tornado Cash developer was arrested. Now we get to move on. We get to be more regulated. I'll read some of the direct quotes. I think we're getting to that stage now, Kevin says. Maybe we're in the third or fourth inning towards that, but I'm tired of the, this crypto cowboy crap. He's talking about privacy here in Tornado. I want to get involved in a regulated place where we can bring billions of dollars to work. I want that too. I don't uh, I don't need to be a crypto cowboy and I don't want to be one because I work in the regulated world. Okay, understand that. But this is the take that really gets me. At the end of the day, it's okay to arrest that guy, Oof. the Tornado Cash developer. Why? He's messing with the primal forces of regulation. What if do you we think we're doing here, Kevin? If, you have to, if we have to sacrifice him, that's okay because we want to have some stability in that institutional capital. It is not okay to sacrifice an open source developer who is working on the public good. I know why I'm here, and it's not for that. He says, we are messing with the primal forces of regulation. That's why I'm here, Ryan. <laughs> That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> well, it's just, there's different kind of cohorts and reasons. Right. For, like, so we get some, you know, like we get different tribes, crypto tribes, certainly warring it out. Well, we also get people who are just here for the money. And that's okay, but you got to rest on top of the base principles of right. why the social layer is here. Another yeah. bad take. But the question of all of this is, David, what can we do about this? Right. All right. So what is this JW uh, Verrett person doing who is, a, um, I believe he's a, a legal professor yeah. and a lawyer. What is he doing? Right, writes very eloquently. He tweets out, I bite OFAC in the nose over their vague <laughs> sanction of tornado cash. I applied to, to OFAC for a license in a way that would either obviate the harm that they did 
or give my nonprofit, the Crypto Freedom Lab, standing to sue them if they deny my license. I think he's basically saying I've put OFAC in a corner. Either answer that they that they give me uh, opens back up Tornado Cash. And he wrote this very eloquent, like concise blog post about the for the choice rule that he's forced OFAC into, uh, and basically saying like either way, like I'm taking like uh, either they do they take option A and oh like Tornado Cash becomes freely accessible to everyone again, or option B, and then they give me grounds to sue them, and I will right. sue them. So we have or, this individual going after OFAC right it's now. It's great, JW. Uh, Verit, we applaud you. Um, they might well just done. OFAC might just take option uh, C, which is don't reply to these things, yeah, which probably. they often do. Yeah. But this which, is a which good he effort. also stated that he will sue them for as well. <laughs> nice, good job. J- JW has all his bases covered. Uh, we applaud efforts like this. Also, uh, Coin Center is doing some fantastic things. So just you know, three of what they're doing. First of all, they're seeking to engage OFAC. So let's not let's in all of this. Let's not attribute to malice, which may just be incompetence. They may not know what a smart contract is. They may not know the importance of, of privacy. Let's make some uh, space for that. Press and X coin, to doubt. <laughs> coin Center is going to help OFAC with some of these things, maybe. Uh, second, there are some innocent Americans who have funds deposited in Tornado Cash, and they don't know whether they can take the funds out or not. My guess is probably right. not. None of this is legal advice. Don't know. But uh, Coin Center is helping those citizens. And then finally... They said they are going, they're beginning to explore with counsel a court challenge to this action. Stay tuned. All right. So that's what our crypto lobbyist friends are doing. We applaud Coin Center for doing that. I think, David, there are a few long term things we could work on. All right. The very first politician who comes out with a recognition and a need that we all have for a digital bill of rights, I am supportful of that platform. Because, David, we need a digital bill of rights that protects our privacy, that protects our cryptography, that gives us the right to own our own private keys, that gives us the right to run our own software, that recognizes that code is speech for all citizens. Some of these rights are implied in the Constitution with freedom of speech. I think it's now time as we transition to this digital era to make this more explicit. I would support laws on the books towards this. That needs to happen, but it's going to be a slow process. The other thing we can do, of course, is start to form form prototypical crypto nation states, network states, as Balaji call, calls them. So imagine a crypto native country. This is a decades long project. It'll take years to get to this. But imagine if we set up such a constitution for digital freedom where we enshrined property rights in Ethereum and other smart uh, contract chains. We made sort of you code as law for, from financial perspective. We backed our currency by ETH and Bitcoin. We had a citizen level IDs that are maybe verified credentials or soul bound NFTs. We use DeFi as our banking system. We use DAOs for capital formation. And that idea from Balaji's burned in my head of like, let's start to work on this project. We can eventually get UN recognition, maybe years down the road. Even if we fail, this could be a prototype that other countries look at and they're like, huh, you guys had some good ideas here. Like maybe we should incorporate some of that because it's been successful. So that's another thing we can do. And then lastly, David, what is Gitcoin up to and how can we help uh, actually donate as individuals? Well, there's plenty of privacy forward and also open source software freedom projects on Gitcoin. And so Gitcoin and like four grant rounds a year, I believe the next one coming up on September 6th. 
seventh, there is a $3 million matching fund, as in there's $3 million out there to be matched for other donations. Uh, so Ryan, you put out this uh, bundle uh, or this request for bundling of the top three to 10 projects fighting for free speech and privacy and give them money because you know what moves the needle the most? Money. Oh, uh, so oh, <laughs> you don't weird, say. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, there's go- in the Gitcoin, there's going to be uh, this privacy bundle, which you can just like donate to in net. Uh, and like all of your money will be matched by this $3 million matching fund. Uh, Coin Center, I'm sure, will be in there. Um, there are other efforts as well. Uh, but money, money moves needles. Save your money for September 7th. We're going to kick this pew, off. Pew, we're going to promote it on uh, Bankless. And uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to fund where our values are in the future. Wow, that was a lot, but I think that was yeah, it was probably, a lot, but it was very significant. It was by yes. far the most significant happen, thing that happened. Totally agree. Yeah. All right, with that, let's move on to some other things, David. And on to the bad boys of the crypto industry. Celsius owes six point seven billion in crypto assets, and they only hold Ryan three point eight billion of crypto assets. Rut row, those are different numbers. Uh, so uh, that's a delta there. Yeah, there's a small delta there. Uh, I mean, this isn't anything new, but we're just getting more and more insight into the state of these Celsius books. And it is uh, what you would call down bad. It's a sorry state. Did you know, David, uh, Financial Times reported that Alex Mashinsky actually took control of Celsius trading right before the bankruptcy. So he was like, oh, things are going bad. I know what to do. I'll be the captain. (laughs) I'll 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 start trading. (laughs) I'll fix this. Um, I'm pretty sure this is what's called revenge trading. And I know (laughs) it's uh, uh, hate trading. Yeah, it's just like, (laughs) oh, one last trade to get us out of the hole. Uh, and so we, we watched Celsius do this. They were like, instead of paying down their debt, they were just adding more and more collateral to their maker doubt positions. You got to take riskier and riskier bets to get Ris- yourself right. out of the hole. Right. And that was Alex. That was Alex doing that. Um, oh, bad. Nice bad. job, Alex. Nice job, Alex. Just complete disservice to your entire company and customers. Uh, and also grifting off of the whole DeFi name. Uh, just a grifter of the ages. Is is not um, yeah it's pretty crazy and actually re- reminds me sort of the three hours capital story they just kept doubling down and doubling right. down and they made the cover of a magazine the New York magazine but not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the title of this magazine is "How Two Wall Street Washouts with a Can't Lose Crypto Head Fund Vaporize a Trillion Dollars." The crash vaporized of a trillion dollars. Can you imagine? <laughs> imagine having that associated with your name. Are uh, we at the, the crash- point where we can laugh about this, David? A little bit. Like, I mean, I've I mean, been laughing about this through and through. <laughs> uh, how, if you're if you're gonna like bleed out your eyeballs about this thing, you're just not gonna make it in crypto. You got to You got to like see the silver lining of this. Yes, I guess. I guess. <laughs> uh, the the uh, the cover of New Yorker for the podcast listener is kind of odd. It's like those two like Bitmoji type emojis for uh, Suzu and Kyle, uh, yeah. and then the actual article itself is like these just like actually kind of cool illustrations of them with like sparkles in their teeth uh yeah good art i don't know i don't know what to make about that uh in the small excerpt from uh from the article among crypto's smartest observers there's a widely held view that three arrows capital is meaningly responsible for the larger crypto crash of 2022 as market chaos and forced selling since bitcoin and other digital assets plunging 70 percent or more erasing more than a trillion dollars in value i'd say that's true yeah i agree with that yeah Sam Bankman-Fried says that in the article, I suspect they might be 80% of the total original contagion. They weren't the only people who blew up, but they did it way bigger than anyone else, and they had way more trust than the ecosystem prior to that. Yeah, so like this article is basically claiming that a trillion dollars of vaporized wealth was due to three hours capital contagion, which that sounds about right. Yeah. 
I'm kind of done with it, David. Like, I, I know we, we, we want to like cover it in pieces, but like, I hope this is getting near to the end of talking about these guys. I know I saw Doquan did an interview last week. I don't even, I don't even care. I'm not going to watch it. I just don't care anymore. Right. Like let's move on as an industry. Um, learn what we can from these mistakes. It's going to happen Is no again. one going to jail? <laughs> I don't know. Is no one Tornado going to jail? Developers gone to jail. Potentially. You're telling me Alex Mashinsky, who traded customers' funds outside of the scope of the product, not going to jail. Three Arrows Capital, who defrauded investors, not going to jail. Uh, like, what? Who? Why isn't Doquan's not going? Why aren't people going to jail? Because they didn't write free open source privacy software, David. Jesus. Christ. Where's the justice Christ. in the world? I don't know. Maybe in time it'll sort itself out. I'm not sure, but like. Hey, it's back to layer zero. We got to protect these uh, these freedoms and hold people accountable in the right ways. Some more crypto contagion, though. Genesis CEO this is the largest like uh, centralized crypto lending and borrowing OTC desk on the planet by far. The CEO just stepped down. He'd been working as CEO for like seven years, and Genesis also cut staff by twenty percent. This was more three hours capital contagion. Just took, I guess, a couple of months for it to catch up with Genesis and for mm-hmm. these headlines to break. Uh, I guess, you know, more more down bad. All right, and that is the recap of that thus far. I hope that this is kind of like the last recap of this that, that we get until somebody gets charged with something. That would actually be a turning of the page of this whole story. Or I story. get my Celsius money back. Or Ryan gets his Celsius <laughs> money back. <laughs> Coming up next in the weekly roll-up, of course, the exact merge time down to the second, although it's going to change. We have down to the second, the current <laughs> predicted merge time. And Taiwan using IPFS ahead of just trying to protect themselves from China cyber attacks. What is going on there? That's an interesting development. So we're going to get to all of these developments and more. All right, guys, we are back talking about the projected exact time, a precise time that the merge will happen. This is Marius, uh, a tweeter from Twitter, tweeting out. He's finally back from vacation. And he ran some computation to confirm the TTD date for mainnet. And the projected date, according to the TTD, is September 14th at 10.57 Paris time. And what that translates into is about 4.57 Eastern time. The TTD is not actually a clock. It does not listen to the sun or go with the rotation of the Earth. So as minor hash power goes up or down, this number moves forward or backward. But if we hold hash power constant, we are merging at September 14th at 10:50 uh, at 5 4:57 p.m. eastern time. That number's going to change. That uh, number's definitely going to change. Uh, I love the precision change. of this yeah. tweet and this estimate, but like it's coming, right? Like 14th, right. 15th, 16th, somewhere in that range, probably more mm-hmm. likely the 14th or the 15th, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I'm going to guess that this date moves up as it becomes earlier because I think miners will turn off Right, like no one's investing more into hash power now. Hash so will go lower. Hash will go lower. It will either stay exactly the same or go lower. Not hash rate's not going to come online now. It's too late. Oh, what time do you hope it is? I hope it doesn't like happen on the 14th, like early in the wee hours of the morning. Although yeah, that'd be fine. I would like to be but, awake for it. Yeah, yeah, because you want to just do a party. You want to just like you know, like there's some celebratory activity. It shouldn't Boys be like early party. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, merch party's on, guys. Merch That's what that party's on, yeah. There's also another airdrop this week. Actually, a pretty significant one, I think. Yeah, Should this is a big this? deal. Yeah, the safe airdrop for the Gnosis Safe. Uh, and so uh, this happened, this is breaking as of, well, today, uh, the time of recording. 
Gnosisafe published an eligible wallet address list. Uh, 50 million uh, tokens, about 5%, uh, are available for airdrop uh, airdrop claimers if you have a Gnosisafe wallet that had a certain amount of ETH in it. So a little bit of a surprise. I don't think people saw a Gnosisafe wallet token coming. Uh, so if you had a multi-sig, a Gnosis multi-sig with more than 10 ETH in it, and it also made two transactions, you got the airdrop. Um, wrapped ether or ether are considered no other assets. Uh, and the minimum distributed was 400 tokens. Although I don't know what the total supply is. Um, go pick that airdrop up. We will include a link to the show notes where you can, uh, Click on that, see if you're eligible or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they just raised money recently. So, you know, airdrop on the back of that, maybe. I guess so. Uh, and Why does 5%? a multi-sig need a token, Ryan? I'm confused. <sighs> hey, you said everything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. I recall you saying that on the Bankless podcast, my friend. So mm, this that is, is that I, I, I did say that. Um, I <laughs> guess uh, <laughs> this one confuses me. <laughs> Well, it can be tokenized. So according to Hoffman's law, it will be tokenized. I I don't even agree with Hoffman's law anymore, but it's still working. It's still working as a law. It hasn't yet been disproven, all right? So it's still a good thesis. Um, OpenSea, what Mm -hmm. are they up to on the NFT world? Yeah, so there's been this controversy with OpenSea's policy on stolen NFTs. So if an NFT was stolen by an exploiter or hacker... Uh, that hacker might go and then sell that and then OpenSea would uh, report that NFT is stolen and then freeze it. But the problem is a buyer, a legitimate buyer would buy a stolen NFT and then OpenSea would freeze that legitimate buyer's NFT, basically freezing them out of the liquidity of OpenSea. This this caused a big consternation, big problem with the community because you had legitimate buyers coming to buy NFTs on OpenSea that were sold by thieves before OpenSea could flag these NFTs as stolen. So OpenSea is changing that policy. What's going on is that they are still freezing stolen NFTs, but if a police report is not filed within seven days, then they are automatically lifting that freeze on that NFT. And basically this is a a tactic to get around false reports. Uh, So people could like grief other people and say like that NFT is stolen and then OpenSea would freeze it. And then the owner would be like, it wasn't stolen. That's my NFT. Uh, And so... They're still freezing stolen NFTs, but they need they need to show the the owner, previous owner, or current owner needs to file a police report. And if they don't do that, then that uh, that lift is automatically uh, released, and so it's not frozen. I want to get in the headspace, get out of our crypto bubble for a minute, and get in the headspace of enforcement agencies like the local police. Okay, mm-hmm. right here. So think about this: you're a bored ape yacht, lock, yacht club uh, owner. You you have an ape. You lost it because you did something real stupid with your private keys. You know, you just left them out there and somebody right. took it. And you have to file a local police report. Yeah. Like, so what's the police going to do? They're going to yeah, be like, what are you doing? Like, why did you do cop this? Car gonna they show up your at, and a cop car going to come to your house and a what are they police officer is going to write down notes? <laughs> if I was a cop on the beat, I would be incredibly annoyed. Right. Just at the prospect of NFTs even existing. <laughs> now I have to go hunt for like stolen digital property online. Right. Like, how? what am I supposed to do with this? Right. And the tie here is actually like, the OFAC sanctions, you notice, came on the back of North Korea hacking their own sidechain, right? Mm-hmm. FBI has to get involved. All right. of these smart contract hacks, the DeFi is basically saying to the FBI, hey, come help us sort this out. The FBI is probably like beyond annoyed. Like, right. no, how about you guys write your code better so right. it doesn't get hacked? Don't we lose don't have your to go private deal keys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what do they do, right? The government responds and is like, we're going to sanction OFAC. I just think that this is like, these are all somewhat related. And if we get out of our crypto bubble once in a while and we put our 
you know, uh, headspace in the minds of like enforcers, right? They're probably like pointing to crypto and be like, hey, uh, I understand what you're saying about that whole OFAC thing, but also how about you get your stuff together mm. and like don't let North Korea hack millions of dollars worth of crypto. Yeah, I think what we're really missing here is like virtual police. It's like our local law enforcement is not, they're here to settle like physical disputes. We need like virtual police to go after this. But <laughs> digital like, police? Digital police, but I don't even like that. I'd rather just us get our shit together. I think that's a yeah. better solution. Same here. Here's PseudoSwap. Royalty fee PseudoSwap is finding favor with NFT traders. Basically, this is a news report talking about the absolute fantastic volumes going through PseudoSwap. So PseudoSwap is just like an NFT liquidity primitive, uh, and it is doing some some great volumes. Uh, so $10 million, I believe, in the last uh, accumulative trading volume. Uh, so congrats to PseudoSwap. Liquidity some s- coming for NFTs, and we yeah. really need it because of what's about to happen next. Well, what is about to happen next then with this liquidity comes great responsibility and power, doesn't it? Yeah. So I've talked about this before. We, we've talked about the concept, the category of collateralized NFTs, where you put up your NFT for collateral and borrow against it. We know DeFi loves to do collateralized stuff. It's like one of our, our biggest things. Uh, and so there's this application called BendDAO, uh, which does this, allows for collateralization of NFTs and allows you to borrow against it. And uh, this Twitter account, NFT, says there's currently... 32,000 Ether, about $60 million worth of NFTs being used as collateral for a Lowe's on Bendow. For the first time ever, a lot of these are at serious peril of liquidation. And he puts together a thread of the biggest risk to the NFT market that no one is talking about. A little bit, a little bit hyperbolic. Basically, Bored Apes and Mutant Apes, these two NFT categories are on the precipice of a cascading set of liquidations because uh, Ben Dow puts uh, collateralized uh, apes or collateralized NFTs up for auction at like probably a discount, 5-10% discount to the floor price, hoping that somebody comes and scoops these up. A lot of them are collateralized. And so a lot of these are going to be put on the market. And there's just a, a like the just like we saw that the seventy percent drawdown in crypto and like because of Aave liquidations and CFI liquidations, we're, we we can see on chain that there is a, a cascading liquidations of board apes and mutant apes ready to go uh, because of this like NFT collateralization. Like I'm sorry, Ryan, how many times did I talk about how this was going to happen on the weekly roll up over the last like nine months? At least like four or five times I mentioned that this like as soon as we get NFT collateralization, we're going to have DJs going along on, the, along on their NFTs and then they're going to get liquidated and lose their NFTs. That's all right. That's efficient markets, man. So people who are risky <laughs> lose their money and that's okay. It's a pawn shop NFT. Everyone's mm-hmm. going to be okay, I think. Yeah, yeah. This is my life too that I say. Like, we're too g- degenerate as a community to not trigger cascading liquidations on our NFTs. <laughs> uh, and uh, <sighs> since uh, uh, there's an update on this, that's about uh, the first liquidation of one is about to happen. There is one board ape, board ape number five three three, which the floor price is about seventy two ether, but it's being sold for sixty eight point four ether, which lowers the full floor price, Ryan. Uh, and so you know the floor price keeps on dropping, which could potentially liquidate more NFTs. So hey, if you're DJ's looking for deals DJ's. on it, if you're looking for deals on NFTs, though, head over yep. to the pawn shop. They're liquidating. Yeah, liquidating it's, uh, the apes. Be a great deal. Like the fact yeah. that it is the apes, I think, is just like, of course. Hey, it be. there's some of crypto punks in be. here, isn't there? There's got to be. No. no, it's all apes. It's all apes. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Mailchimp as well. So mm-hmm. uh, Bankless, of course, has a newsletter, and we use uh, Substack right now. We're, we're looking at transitioning something else. But um, did you know, David, Mailchimp has created a crackdown on crypto newsletters, including Masari, The Edge. It's basically, if you have a crypto newsletter, 
they are not sending the uh, emails out. Yeah, so it's crazy. your crypto it, newsletter got rugged. Sorry, Mazzari. Again, the the I, I think they're back. I think they've resolved right. it somehow. I don't know with Mailchimp or with someone else, but the hazards of um, centralized companies. If you're decentralized, uh, if you're a crypto media publication like us, David, this is kind of mm-hmm. a wake up call to us to right. make sure that we have uh, redundancy here. Um, also, a wake up call for Taiwan mm-hmm. in the face of cyber attacks from China, they're actually looking to Ethereum's IPFS tech mm-hmm. to help out. I don't know if this is a big way or what, or if this is sort of a small trial, but David, I think what this speaks to is um, interesting that nation states themselves will start to increasingly need to use decentralized technology like Ethereum, like IPFS, like of course cryptography, which they already use today, in order to defend themselves mm-hmm. against other nation states. That is the reason at first the U.S., Mark Andreessen told us on the, on the podcast, the U.S. did not want to adopt SSL, did not want to, did not want to allow crypto uh, technology, cryptography technology in the browser, on the web, but they had to mm-hmm. in order to protect all of their stuff from other nation state actors. So they just said yes to it. I think that is the destination for Ethereum, by the way, and why the OFAC sanctions will not hold up because eventually they're going to need these decentralized asset money networks to protect against other nation states. Maybe we're seeing a whiff of that with Taiwan here. Certainly, like cryptocurrency, cryptography, blockchains, these are technologies that supersede nation states. They are a level, they are a dimension higher than nation states. And so when you are a minority, like nation state entity like Taiwan, it's advantageous for you to adopt these crypto protocols, these cryptography mechanisms, because the cryptography mechanisms, cryptography supersedes nation states. So if you are a sub-dominant nation state, you use cryptography, you use IPFS, you use blockchain stuff to get out under the thumb of a larger nation state. Uh, and so uh, the IPFS, for those that don't know, is the interplanetary file system. It's a, it's a decentralized peer-to-peer network that lets users back up and store files and websites by hosting them across a network of nodes, eliminating central points of failure and circumventing censorship efforts. Um, the storage and file referencing system for Ethereum is frequently compared, like IPFS is frequently compared to a, a file sharing protocol, kind of like BitTorrent. Uh, and there's, I don't think there's any coincidence that the news of this IPFS upgrade of Taiwan, uh, I don't know what that means. Like, I'm sure it's not just like universally like Taiwan. No, no, no. I think IPFS. it's probably in a very small way. Yeah. And, and also the important stuff, uh, but comes right after Nancy Pelosi shows up in Taiwan and then China starts flexing its muscles. Like that's no coincidence that this is happening. Crypto is entering the geopolitical nation state level uh, conversations here. Mm-hmm. Decentralized tech is. Uh, David, do you remember all the way back from 2017? Do you remember Dragon Chain? Yeah. The Dragon Chain? Dragon, da- Dragon Chain, Chain yeah. Bros? Yeah. This yeah. is like Disney's version of Ethereum. I remember it was, it was, that way. It was, uh, Disney was, they couldn't officially associate their brand with it, but it, like for some reason it, it got like, un- unaffi- like a wink wink yeah. associated with it. Yeah. Like ex Disney yeah. people, and like it was, it it was one of these things that pumped to the absolute moon in 2017. Also, uh, back in the days where we had a um, Asia had an Ethereum killer called Neo, right. Disney right. had an Ethereum killer called like Dragon Chain. It was yeah. all of these Ethereum killers. Dragon Chain. Uh, right now, so the news is not that, not Dragon Chain. It's kind of dead. But um, at the SEC is filing suit against Dragon Chain all the way back from 2017. So this mm-hmm. is like five years coming, right. and now it's happening. Now, we can comment on that in and of itself, but just if you go to the price of Dragon Chain, David, 
Do you know all time highs for Dragon Chain above five dollars, five dollars and yeah. fifty cents? Yeah, it, it pumped from like it started below a penny and then it pumped to five and a half dollars. It made a lot of people Dude. very, very rich. You Not know what's trading at now? You didn't I'm, do I'm guessing it's down bad. It's down real bad. Okay? Real bad. Two cents. Oof. Five fifty, five dollars fifty cents to two cents as a ninety nine point nine yeah. something X drop. That's a, that's a deletion right there. of wealth right there. Uh, yeah. So you it, weren't into Dragon Chain. I was not. I, uh, my friend was, but not not me personally. Like <laughs> I just like Dragon Chain. Like I have this uh, the name itself. I was like back when like names were important. I was like Ethereum, yeah. Dragon Chain, <laughs> Ethereum. <laughs> Ethereum name is way better, so I'm going to stick with like the serious time. name. It's, it's worth noting that the SEC statute of limitations is seven years. So if you issue an illegal security and the SEC doesn't come after you for seven years, you're good. Oh. Five years. They almost made it. They almost made it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you're not out of the woods for seven years. And a Dragon Chain got caught at five years. Yeah, I, I guess it takes a long time. Yeah. To, to go through the process of this is mm-hmm. another lesson for crypto where we think things happen fast uh on other news in other news ontario cracking down what's this tweet from you david and tell us the news yeah there's new regulatory outcome like changes coming out of china for centralized exchanges they are if you're if you're a cryptocurrency that is david, not you said china but i think you meant canada God. Well, I mean, it's, that's, you know actually, fu- that's, that's, that's what's funny about that's it, what's that funny you did about that Freudian slip. Right. Yeah, exactly. slip. Okay, so it's Canada. It's Ontario right. specifically, but Canada. Go ahead. So all other crypto assets that are not Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, or Bitcoin Cash, these are the four cryptocurrencies that you can buy without any limits. All other cryptocurrencies in Ontario, there's a $30,000 limit a year that a individual retail investor can buy crypto. So that includes Solana. And I would say... As much crap as I give Solana, it is way better than Litecoin. It is so much better than Bitcoin Cash. There's no competition there. Litecoin, like this, this is living in 2017, uh, and yeah. so like only the there now are these like enshrined cryptos that are like okay, you can buy as much as this, like Bitcoin and Ether, good. Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, absolute trash. But then all the other cryptocurrencies are like, like. You're not allowed to touch them for more than $30,000 a year. This is very similar to accredited investor laws where the wealthier you are, the higher your limits are. But like, dude, what the F? What the F? What are you doing, Ontario? What What are you doing, Canada? It's not all provinces, uh, of course. It's Ontario, and this is kind of Ontario's version of the SEC doing this. And uh, some people actually, uh, when I tweeted this out to you, they said, oh, these rules have been in effect for a while. They're just kind of now getting rolled out. So they, Mm. they were in effect starting last year. They're getting now, they're getting rolled out. The other like tweak on this is um, it's basically they're enforcing this at the the central exchange right. level. So there are ways to circumvent it, which right. is like you could open up nine different exchange accounts, I guess, right. and get thirty thousand dollars of Solana on each right. if you really want to. You, could, like, you could also a buy a ton of ether. Uh, you could buy and then convert a, 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 it and, and then send it to Uniswap and then have no limits there. So it's not a ban on like you buying Uniswap, for example. But it is the principle of the thing how regulator knows best right these are the four crypto assets ontario regulators have sanctioned you for bitcoin eth litecoin and bitcoin cash these are the safe ones guys and you (laughs) can put as much as you want in (laughs) there i don't understand it um but uh and people for people to know i actually grew up in ontario so i'm a canadian and american but um i moved to the u.s when i was kind of uh in middle school that was a freaking tough move, by, by the way. Another, another yeah. story. Moved to another country in middle school. <laughs> I'll ask about um, it in your layer zero. But now, like, I just feel like I have to look for where I live right. with, like, um, how, how crypto-friendly is it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how free do I want to be? And, like, this is, like, 
if I ever wanted to move back to Ontario, I might be second guessing it if stuff like this is coming down the pipe. Right. So uh, anyway, Canadians got to resist too. Yeah. We're working on it on the OFAC side, but there's lots of regulatory fights yep. to uh, to fight. Yep. Uh, coming in next, we have the House passes the massive climate tax and health bill titled the Inflation Reduction Act and is now being on its, sent on its way to Biden to receive his signature, which he's totally expected to sign. Uh, $437 billion Inflation Reduction Act, um, 15% minimum tax on large corporations, 1% excise tax on share buybacks, tax credit for electric vehicles. There's $369 billion spending on climate and energy policies and also allocates $64 billion to extend Affordable Care Act program to reduce insurance costs. Interesting that there's all this extra stuff that which is like stuff that we hear about all the time like you know affordable care act you know green energy investment but it's inside of this like inflation reduction act the name itself is like kind of like the patriot act like inflation reduction yeah. act like you can't hate it and also there's something completely oxymoronic about spending over hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in new spending to reduce inflation like you should be that that's what creates inflation like you're yeah, spending yeah. more money to, to be fair, so a couple things. So one is, this was actually, I think the article we're looking at is from Friday. Biden did already sign it. So oh, it is, it's it. law oh, now. Okay. It's done. Great. And um, yeah, there there are obviously some tax pieces to this too, right? So they are raising some income, not just spending. They're, they're doing a little right. both. But call me skeptical if this is actually going to do anything to reduce inflation. It's just not. It's I mean, the drop Fed in the bucket. has impact on inflation. This is just a micro drop in the in the bucket. Mm -hmm. Obviously, before November elections, which makes sense. Right. Nice, nice bill to call nice it the time. Inflation Reduction Act. Not going to happen. Right. Not going to do much for it, though. No. Uh, David, what's this? We're on the releases side of things. Uh, galleon portfolios? What are Galleon portfolios? Yeah, people, uh, new listeners, people that came in the last few years probably uh, aren't familiar with this thing called token sets or set protocol. It was a big, all of the rage back in uh, the bear market, 2018, 2019. Uh, but basically, people could create their sets of tokens and like I created my set, other people created their set. Galleon is working, uh, uh, building on top of set protocol to make um, just like more, it's a little bit like in, uh, index co-op. So Galleon portfolios, there's four of them. You have like the merge portfolio, the fees portfolio, SPI, uh, and it's just a collection of tokens uh, for in different ecosystems. So the merge index, 50% wrap staked ether, 20% liquidity providers like Lydio Rocket Pool, 30% DeFi primitives, Uni Aave, SNX. You have the Spartan index ecosystem, SPI, which is SNX, Lyra, Thales. Uh, the VE token index for holders of vote is all the VE tokens out there. So Curve, CFX, FXS, BAL, Butterfly. Uh, so it's just a new uh, index index machine out on the world, uh, Galleon Portfolios. So cool. Nice release. There you go. On the raises side of things, we've got A16Z. They just gave $350 million to Flow. This is Adam Newman's company. A16Z, this is the big, one of the biggest checks they've ever written, mm -hmm. uh, values Flow at $1 billion. Adam Newman, of course, is the entrepreneur, uh, in quotes, behind uh, Visionary. WeWork. Yeah. Visionary, right? There have been yeah. many documentaries about him, uh, some kind of uh, scandalous. But A16Z is a believer. It's funny that like three or four months ago, David, uh, Flow was actually a crypto carbon uh, company. No, that was so, that was Flow Carbon. This is that was Flow, Flow Carbon. It's the yeah. same. It's the same kind of thing. It was Adam right. Newman. Uh, Flow Carbon was the mm -hmm. name. They shortened it to Flow, and now it's a completely different thing. Yeah. So I'm not sure. It'd be an interesting story to hear. Like. 
what Adam and the team decided about the crypto carbon market, deciding it wasn't ready, and then the pivoting completely to real estate. Mm-hmm. But um, the other side of this is this is an absolutely colossal raise with right. a massive evaluation. And Jason Kalkanis has a take on this. What's his take, David? Yeah, Jason Kalkanis from the All In podcast. And he states, if a startup is worth $1 billion before it launches a product, it's probably a scam. I tried to do some research on what this product actually is. I actually can figure it out. And that was actually a comment in one of the uh, articles I read is that uh, people, we still haven't been able to figure out what this product actually is. So that's the juxtaposition because we also yeah. know that Mark Andreessen is like one of the best investors of right. his generation and he's pretty savvy and pretty smart. And this is him giving justification for why they're doing 350 million in this thing. Interesting juxtaposition, I think. Not super crypto related other than this used well, to that's be what, a, that's what it is. People are are uh, hype, like uh, like trying to look into the quote from one article that that came that came from some investigative journalist said that Adam is building a next generation multifamily property management system with a proprietary payment system, adding that the system will include full financial services wallet, a tokenized reward program, and crypto payment method. What? Yeah. What? Yeah, I don't know what that's about, David. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> All right, Dragonfly, they're a crypto hedge fund. They bought another hedge fund called Metastable. Metastable was like a 2017, 2018. Uh, in fact, they were earlier than that to crypto. Um, they bought them to 400 for $400 million, all their assets under management. Um, kind cool. of some consolidation in the crypto hedge fund world. Something David, let's talk about jobs, though. Let's do it. Let's talk we about talked jobs. about raises, so we yeah. got to talk about jobs. A lot of hot crypto jobs going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do we remind folks every week, David? That you should get a job in crypto because the private markets have a ton of money and these private markets are going into the jobs that you see here on the jobs boards. There is a ton of jobs in crypto. Ryan, read them off. I gotcha. DYDX is hiring a software engineer on the back end. Stakefish wants an HR business partner. It's not technical. Stakefish also wants a back end full stack engineer and a front end software engineer and a DevOps engineer. Bankless, we need somebody for media operations, it's podcasts, videos, that sort of thing. Software engineer for Boardroom Labs, a manager of crypto marketing non-technical. at Manticore Games. Uh, we need a thread or at Bankless. A non-technical. Vertex Protocol needs a marketing coordinator. Non-technical. A financial analyst from Streams, product manager for Bankless Academy. I could go on, but I don't need to because you can get all of these jobs at the Bankless Jobs Board. Bankless.palette.com slash jobs. Go check it out. David, what's coming next, man? Questions from the nation. Every single week we ask the nation what you want us to answer. So we got those questions coming up next. Does staking before the merge matter? And also, what comes next after the merge? And also, some hot takes from Crypto Twitter. So, see, fantastic questions and the hottest takes are coming up right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, guys, we are back. Reminder, get into the questions. Uh, if you have a question for the weekly roll-up, you can reply to the tweet thread. Bankless HQ on Twitter tweets out every week and get your question answered. This is the first question from skiing.lens on Twitter. Is there a reason that ETH should be staked prior to the merge versus post-merge? Does staking post-merge carry any negative connotations, such as missing out on rewards versus possessing already staked ETH going into the merge? Should I stake now or should I wait until after the merge, David? What do you think? I think that it does not matter. Uh, I don't really, there's nothing really special about staking through the merge. Like you get to say that you did it and that's the biggest thing is like you get to say that you were there. Like the financial ROI, like you're going to get like 0.005% more ETH between like now and the merge because like you're just staking for such a little amount of time. I would say if you are not already staking your ether, 
the risks might actually be higher because there might be some weird shenanigans with the merge. So I would say if you're not already staking your Ether, I would just say hold on to it and then stake post-merge and do that. But this is my take too, and this is personally what like I'm doing, right? It's like, yeah. why stake now? Why not wait till after? I, like a year ago when... Um, uh, yeah, issuance for, uh, yeah. yeah, when when st- stake rewards were much higher, it was like something like seven percent, something like that. Maybe there's some reason for it. It was never seven. It's like six. Oh, it did start off very uh, started early, off high yeah. when it yeah. was very low. Yeah. Anyway, I could see that, but that's gone down. Yeah. And um, for me, like, there's maybe some execution risk in there, yeah. but also like, I I wonder about forking. So yeah. if there is a POW ETH version, do you think they might disclude anyone who's staked from that? By version. definition, by definition, you will not yeah. get the uh, pr- the proof of work stake again. Chain. Yeah, I know yeah. you're not very bullish that I'm there's going to be a high value POW chain, but that's another reason you get yeah. more of that forked uh, token if you don't stake pre merge. So I'm going to wait. I think that's the right call. What's yeah. our next question from Pete.eth? He says, or they say, what will be the next thing to look forward to post merge? What do you think, David? Yeah, I think uh, the meta of conversation will shift into 4844. Uh, and this is going to be the thing that like cuts layer two transaction fees by like one one hundredth. I think that'll be kind of the next thing that the general Ethereum community um, focuses on. Uh, and there's always something to focus on. But I will say it's also like like the merge EIP one five five nine like staking will be in the Revere mu. We do have to like at some point like the Ethereum chain just like runs, guys. At some point like there is <laughs> no next thing. Appreciate that for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we do just we just Bask appreciate in the glow. that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it will be 4844 that we talk a lot about. Yeah. So 4844, probably next year, probably sometime in 2023, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this gives scalability to rollups. Makes rollups essentially free. Yeah, basically. I'm, I'm using yeah. hyperbole. But like close it's, to it's free. Good. It's good hyperbole. I think after Real that, good. I would, would also say proposer builder separation, but that is in the very distant. That's like 2024 stuff. Yeah. And, and by the way, rolled up into the next, um, next fork, which could happen in 2023, is al- also withdrawals. So yeah. if you stay, if you stake, yeah. you can be locked in <laughs> yeah, there. That's good Stakers for price. are like, you guys, I'm totally looking forward to withdrawals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would like to get my ETH too. back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's coming. That's right now. It's bundled in the same uh, fork. They're going to co-release mm-hmm. those things, but that may not be the case. They could release them in separate forks too. All right, David takes of the week. This one uh, from Peter Van Valkenburg. He is uh, a crypto lawyer at Coin Center. He's the one that wrote the Coin Center report, and he says, I don't know who needs to hear this, but if the big regulatory battles are being fought about a different cryptocurrency, it's not because your preferred crypto is more decentralized, it's because because governments aren't worried about the things it does and how it does them. And then, of course, with some nice context, Ryan Sean Adams says... I think I know who needs to hear this. Basically, this is this is subtweeting all the Bitcoiners who are like, ha ha ha, like Ethereum is being targeted by like regulatory and like nation state regulations. And then like Peter is saying, yeah, it's because like your Bitcoin, the government's not worried about Bitcoin. It's not a threat to them. Let 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 Bankless, let you and I, David, make a public commitment. Like I just want people to hear this, right? Mm-hmm. Is Bankless is about freedom. It's about decentralization. It's about censorship resistance. Doesn't matter what chain. Yeah. All right. If if Cardano needs to fight the fight around this, right? Because they're being unfairly targeted. If Tron needs to fight the fight around this, if we Solana needs to fight the fight around this, or Bitcoin needs to fight the fight around this, we show up. We show up. And I hope anyone in crypto shows up for these fights because mm-hmm. we're all in this together. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like I think the tribalism doesn't 
want us to believe that we're all in this together. But at the end of the day, we are. This is the crypto mm -hmm. nation. We are all fighting for the same things, at least if we are preserving those basic essential uh, rights. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just want to say that publicly in 100%. case that's not clear. And I'll say that again, like if you're, if you aren't on crypto Twitter, like, like in these like trench warfares with tribe, intertribal warfare, like I, I understand how like weird it is that me and Ryan yeah, are like, Oh, these big corners, these big corners. Yeah. But like, they are so <laughs> annoying in my mentions of talking about like how Ethereum is like the centralized scam coin that's controlled by Vitalik's basement. Like I'm, it's just so exhausting. It could be that Twitter algo tricking you though, that David and like, put just put like, we're going to screw with yeah. David yeah. today. Let's put all these. <laughs> things in. No, the Bitcoiners are like, they off. target my tweets and they descend on them I and know, they just harass me. I know, there's some of that. Uh, this is another take. Do you want to read it? Yeah, Ryan Sean Adams says, people going to think twice about staking their ETH in a centralized exchange now. Thanks, OFAC, for promoting decentralization. What do you mean? What do you mean? The meta take here is that this is getting us all thinking about decentralization and where the yeah. centralization vectors are. And uh, I think it's super good for the space uh, long term. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking about our front ends, right? Maybe these more of these should be on IPFS. We're thinking about validating staking and what happens if uh, major validators go rogue and, and uh, promote something that's centralized. What does the Ethereum community do to react? We're game uh, strategizing all of these potential outcomes. Super healthy. I'm uh, pretty excited. So this is the this is the beauty of crypto. I think is anytime you get a kind of like censorship or or a massive crackdown. Like it's just like it's just like kind of the the water balloon. It just kind of squeezes through the uh, like authoritarian fingers and like manifests somewhere else. And so, uh, yeah, I think this is what progress looks like. Is the mm -hmm. bottom line? What I would say. It's it's actually a good thing. Yep. Is that is that weird to say? I mean, people no. are like rose colored glasses. What, how are you saying that this OFAC sanction thing is a good thing? But in a way, it is. Right. The it's Ethereum crypto. These are organic systems. These are anti-fragile systems and the community is the antibodies. And when the community gets faced with a stressor, we, we respond and we, we make it things when th something comes to attack Ethereum, we fix it and make it more decentralized. So if there was a weakness, we solve it. And this is, it only happens when there is stress, like animals, organisms, they respond to stress. Ethereum is being stressed by this OFAC sanctions thing. And we are responding to it by making us stronger. We're just ratting around, ratting around. Yeah. David, what are you bullish on this week? Ryan, this one's going to be atypical for me. I am bullish on mountains. I'm going, I'm <laughs> turning off Twitter. I'm deleting Twitter. Is this nature? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going, I'm going into the mountains. I'm not connecting, disconnecting from cell service. You can't get cell service out there. I'm going to hang out with four of my homies uh, and only think about trees. You're going to release all of the digital toxins from your body. Yes. Because what's going to happen. Yes. This, I mean, is, this is my first non-crypto trip since like 2019. Oh, dude. You did a long time coming then. Yeah. Enjoy it. Enjoy the grass. I will. Enjoy being I will. outside. Yeah. I'm going to sit in grass for hours. Yeah. I'll, I'll um, keep everyone at bay on Twitter for you, all right? Yeah, thank all the, you. All the maximalists, you know. Thank you. That'll yeah. be on me this weekend. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm bullish on zero cell reception. Ryan, what yeah. are you bullish on? <laughs> I am bullish on layer zero, my friend. So what is layer mm -hmm. zero? That is the, uh, the people underlying all of the guarantees, all of the security that we have in crypto. You have a podcast called Layer Zero, all about the people mm -hmm. in crypto, because mm -hmm. ultimately this is our only defense, our best defense against um, everything that comes at this industry. And people don't realize this, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's Ethereum, whether it's Solana, is the thing that enforces all of the immutability and censorship resistance and anything else that makes a blockchain a blockchain 
goes back to the, the layer zero, right? And that's what we've been talking about, right? So it's like, if, if enough people believe in censorship resistance for Ethereum as a core value and a core property that the project needs to have, they will run the software that makes that possibility a reality. Mm -hmm. So it all comes out back to the people. If the people stop believing this, then we lose and we don't get the censorship resistance. This is why I think movements like Bankless are so important is because mm -hmm. we are working on that layer zero uh, and the tech can be great, but if you don't have the layer zero to support it, to run the software, to say no in the face of censorship uh, and to say yes for immutability, you don't really have a blockchain. Right. Uh, and I'm, I was bullish this week, I guess, is back to bullish on what I saw in Ethereum right. uh, and the, you know, the X movement of mm -hmm. like, I vote to fork out any censorship resistance and run a different chain, sell my assets on the censored chain, uh, burn the stake if I need to and preserve censorship resistance. I'm very bullish on that, David. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's the community that supports the blockchain that makes the blockchain, right? And like I said earlier, so many new people came into this cryptocurrency industry in the last like 18 months, and they probably haven't been exposed to these very tough questions because like some people didn't even think about like, that. People are learning about what this means right now. Uh, and we need to have these conversations every two years because new people come in and they aren't, haven't had one of these conversations yet. Totally. And so we just have to keep on rehashing and re-instilling re what our values are on a regular basis because otherwise you know, we'll lose them. It's like 2022 has been the year of learning lessons, right? We learned yeah. the hazards of centralization uh, and mm -hmm. centralized lending providers with, with Celsius and, and BlockFi and others. We learned the hazards of uh, massive speculation on mm -hmm. margin through A16, or sorry, yep. through Three Arrows Capital, Capital yeah. uh, and others like them. Now, now we're, we're learning the value of censorship resistance. This has been mm -hmm. a fantastic it's year great. for teaching right. us lessons. Bear market. This is why bear markets are so awesome. I love them. This I love great. bear markets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meme of the week, David. This is hilarious. What are we looking at, man? Uh, we are looking at Vitalik's new al album, which, which <laughs> drops September 15th, called The Merge. Uh, and so for, uh, it's, this is not actually his album, uh, but for the podcast listeners, this is a like a very like dark looking like rap album with Vitalik <laughs> and like this shadowy like look and just staring right into your soul. Parental advisory explicit content. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, the merge, it drops September 15th. That's awesome. Uh, that's it from us. We got a moment of Zen for you. But uh, before we do, we got to tell you, none of this has been financial advice. It never is. On Bankless, you could definitely lose what we you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.